0: Welcome to Be A Bigger Fish. This is the podcast that explores the power of podcasting. I'm Debbie Aurelius and I'm your host. This is season two of Be A Bigger Fish which is dedicated to in-house podcasting. I'm delighted to say the star of this episode is Paul Gisby. Paul has been making podcasts and audio content since 2010 and he pours that whole decade of experience into this episode. It's absolutely packed with tips and advice about how to set up your in-house podcast strategically, how to encourage your nervous managers to contribute and how to get the best out of your audio strategy. Paul also shares his insight into the future and he tells us what he thinks the future holds for audio in organisations. I really hope you enjoy listening to this episode as much as I enjoyed making it so let's listen to what Paul has to say. I'm delighted to welcome fellow podcaster Paul Gisby to the podcast today. Paul and I met through our podcasts Um, Paul is the host of an excellent podcast called Talking Leaders, which explores the use of podcasting as a leadership tool. So there's some quite clear parallels between both our podcast series, which is lovely. So Paul, would you kindly introduce yourself and tell us a little bit about your background?
1: I will. Thank you first for the compliment for Talking Leaders. Much appreciated. I'm Paul Gisby. I had a career that started in science. I was a scientist. actually worked at the bench with a, a white coat and then worked in the gas industry and the chemical industry and then the pharmaceutical industry. Spent time in various different activities, including 13 years as a medical writer, working medical writing and scientific communications. And then in 2012, I set up Nexus to be a podcast and audio content producer, focusing on pr- bringing podcasting and the use of audio content to chiefly large organisations who and, and leaders in those organisations who are wanting to connect to dispersed audiences, so people who have global groups or whatever.
0: Right, yeah, and that's a really interesting background, actually. Quite a lot of people come into the communications industry through routes like journalism or, you know, creative jobs that sort of thing yeah. so to think that you came into it as a scientist that's really fascinating what was it that um, got you involved in making podcasts specifically
1: uh, so specifically the last few years of my role in the pharmaceutical industry I was working for a large pharmaceutical company. And I was working as part of a team developing a very big change program. And I was actually helping shape the change that was being brought forward. When it got to the point where we were rolling this program out, I spent a part of my time supporting the communications team who were delivering all the changes to people. We hit a bit of a problem in that we had a communications agency who were helping us. And the initial rollout had gone very well. And I'd been part of that But then we were finding people just weren't getting it and they weren't engaging and there was a lot of disquiet about, I don't really understand. So we were struggling with how we were going to deal with that. And then one morning I was driving into work and I happened to catch an episode of a program that airs on BBC radio called In Our Time. And it's hosted by a guy called Melvin Bragg. And every week he gathers a small team of experts to talk about a subject. And the subject can be a huge range of things. Melvin Bragg is not an expert in these fields himself, but he does an excellent job of getting these experts to explain in semi-technical lay language what it's all about. And he unpacks the whole thing. And I thought that's what we need to do because some of these initiatives that we're rolling out, they need to be explained and they need to be explained by the people who have developed these ideas. So I went into the comms meeting and I said, oh, I had this idea we could do this kind of thing. And the communications guy from the agency said, oh, you mean we should do a podcast? And I said, oh, what? Because this is back in 2010 when podcasts did exist, but I didn't know what they were. People got excited about it and we we kicked around the format that we could use and we thought we'd do a lot of one-on-one interviews. I said, well, so who should host this then? Who should we have lead it? And there was a sort of silence in the room. I looked at everyone was looking at me and they went, it's got to be you, obviously. So I thought, OK, fair enough. I'll, I'll take it on. And the love affair began because I just loved it. It really was a duck to water in terms of how I felt about doing it. I'd always been interested in radio. And I just felt we really leveraged the power of audio in a way that, that really hit home. It was a big success. We had a lot of positive comments about it. We did them slightly differently, actually, to how a lot of podcasts are done in that when we started out, we just did pure audio and we got feedback from some people who said that they liked it, but they needed something to look at while they were listening. We didn't want to go down the full video route, so we ended up doing something, I I developed this thing which I I call audiographic. It's 99.9% audio, but it's supplemented with graphics in maybe show a slide at the side of somebody speaking to sort of document the points they're making, you know to say, "Well, the thing about this is point a, point b, we'd show those. We maybe had the odd the odd image and that kind of thing, but it really pretty much was podcasting it really was was uh, yeah big success as a result of all this change. The job that I had had disappeared, and I found myself at a at a crossroads and I decided to leave the pharmaceutical industry and go out on my own and that's when I set up voquinexus to provide a similar sort of service to to businesses. Yeah, excellent. That was 2012.
0: That really is the early days of podcasting. Mm -hmm. So you're in quite a pioneering position there. And I know these days there's a plethora of information available online to help you get started. But I'm guessing when you got going in 2010, that didn't really exist. So how did you learn how to podcast? (laughs)
1: <laughs> on the job, made lots of mistakes. I have lots of horror stories about things that, that I think of now that bring out a cold shiver, but you, you, know, you learn from them. Yeah. The agency that we worked with, Axiom Communications, they were really helpful as well in giving me some guidance. And in particular, they had one guy that, that they brought in who was, still is, a freelance radio producer. So he was terrific because he gave me lots of support on the technical side. I didn't have to worry about the equipment because he brought this, all this amazing high-end professional stuff in and set all that up so i just had to focus on doing the the interviewing and i tell you what i think one of the best things for learning how to do this is listening to myself yes and just comparing myself to chiefly radio at that time and thinking well how would how would melvin bragg do this and how would uh, jeremy paxman do this and and that's that's how i did it trial and error in in many ways i think
0: experiential learning as they say yes What was it that convinced you that audio was working for that sort of leadership comms and how have you kind of evolved that through your business?
1: You've actually put your finger on the thing that is my biggest passion, I think, about podcasting and audio. And it's to do with the depth which you can go into a subject with audio, Mm. I think, and the connection that you can make. I think audio is brilliant for explaining Subtleties. I think it's brilliant for that kind of thing where it's really difficult to actually get the essence of something over, say, via a PowerPoint slide or via a monologue type thing where someone's just giving a, a one point presentation. Back in the day when we were starting out with, with AstraZeneca, it, it really was explaining, well, why exactly are you doing this? And we used it mostly as follow up. So we would have presentations that would say we're going to change the way that we work in this particular area. This is how it's going to be. And then we would follow it up with me asking the kind of questions that were being posed by the people who were receiving this information and saying okay so how did you arrive at working in that way and why do you think that is going to be different and then putting forward some of the challenges that were arising from people saying well people are saying you know the way they were working wasn't that bad and it wasn't it wasn't a problem why have you why have you made the change when you hear people actually explain their own ideas you really do I think start to get a grasp of where they're coming from and what their thinking is. And if there is good thought behind it, it usually comes through. The reverse also happens where they clearly haven't thought it through very well. And you get some of that as well. But I think you really start to get to the nub of the matter when when you hear people speak. And it isn't just the words they use. It's the way they speak and how they they pause and all that, that kind of stuff, tone and style and all that kind of stuff. Looking on the positive side, I think when you've got somebody who is a true expert, there is no substitute for actually mm. listening to them. I, I hear that time and time again, where you hear people do who do a podcast because they've got a book out, and the book may be very good. But actually, I get so much more from listening to the author speaking about their subject and really getting over the the points. And I think that's one of the reasons why they do so well when they put their book out and then people then flock to go and see them because they want something extra which you only get from the person directly and you get it mostly from what they say and how they they speak so I think that's the the thing that that back then we found was really working and now is the thing that I I enjoy most I love it when you get that that moment.
0: I completely agree with you about the points you made about audio really capturing subtleties very well and helping experts to kind of position their their point of view in a really effective way. What kind of leadership mm. comms do you aim to convey through audio? What kind of leadership comms works really well through audio?
1: The the fairly common one I think which which people follow where it, it's basically a leader Doing a different kind of broadcast communication. So this is this is maybe a leader of a, leader of a large department talking to the whole company or talking to the large department. Um, there was a, a one I know that was very successful a few years ago where the CEO of BT used to meet once a week with his comms person and they would do a half hour podcast of him talking about... What was happening within bt and what the latest things were that kind of thing i think one of the reasons that works really well is because you are hearing from the person themselves so maybe they're not necessarily unpacking complex ideas but you are getting a connection with with that person so that's that's really good it's really good where you as i said before you really need to get to the nub of something you really need to explain why are you doing this kind of thing what what are the real reasons in those situations when i do that i do say to the person i'm interviewing okay are you okay if we if i go a little bit tough on you at times and press you on some of these points and usually almost always they say yes it's not a cross examination and they're not in a court of law but it is it is sort of challenging them a little bit i remember one uh, occasion i did a, uh, an interview with the head of the department i said to her why you know why are we doing this what is what are your real aims and reasons for it And she said, oh, well, you know, one of my ambitions is to make uh, this organization the best department of its type in the industry. And I said, yeah, doesn't everybody say that in every company that uh, is doing this? You know, why, why do you think you're going to be different? And she knew that I was going to ask that question. I had to ask her permission beforehand. And she said, yeah, OK, I take that on board. And she gave me an answer. And I said, yeah, actually, that just sounds like the same platitude as we had before. You know, what really will make the difference? So we pressed her on it. And afterwards, we got a lot of feedback on that. Some people said, thank you so much. I think you did a good job. I really believe in this and I think she's right. Other people said, thank you for pressing her on that. I still don't think you answered your question. I'm so glad you pushed it to her. I'm, And then they said, and I love working for a company where we can discuss and debate these things openly. So that kind of thing where you really, you really uh, trying to get to, to the nub of the matter. I think it works very well when you want to share experiences from different parts of an organization. So one of the things that I've done in the past is where we have rolled out a change and we've done the explanation bit. And then we go around and speak to people who are then implementing the change and say, how's it going? So the group in the US can listen to what the Swedes are saying and the UK people can listen to what the the guys in Poland are doing. And that's really nice. That sort of is a little bit Vox Poppy, real people talking about their actual experiences and sharing their, their, their thoughts. Another area which I'm very keen on, I really love doing, is something we call wisdom capture or wisdom sharing and this is where you're really trying to capture the again the nuances of expertise and experience i was really alerted to the to the value of this a couple of years ago when another pharmaceutical company asked us to help them capture the expertise of a, of a handful of experts that they had in the area of statistics who had got experience of working with government agencies during the process of developing a pharmaceutical at some point the project team has to speak to the fda or the the MHRA or any of these, these these government bodies, and they have to go down to the offices. And they can be fairly daunting events, as you can imagine. It's The projects on can be on the line a bit. You're representing the company. And what they'd found for various reasons is that the number of people that they had got who were really good at this had got experiences quite small, but they'd got a much larger pool, largely new intake, who didn't know how to do this. And even though there were standard operating procedures and, and PowerPoint presentations describing what you should do they weren't getting it the younger ones weren't cutting it so we did a three program series a short series interviewing these these small handful of people to say what are the key things it was great fun to do um the experts themselves loved doing it and it's been a real success it's really it's really worked very well and the the nice thing about it is as the person who sponsored it said to me The thing is, some of these guys you're talking to, they're going to leave in the not too distant future and they're going to walk out the door with their expertise. And it's that insight that particularly came through from the stories that they told about experiences that they'd had that made it so powerful. And it's now there in in perpetuity. People are still accessing it when they suddenly find, oh, I've got to go down and speak to the agency. They download the podcast and they can hear John saying, whatever you do, don't get into an argument with the guys and all that kind of stuff. So that's another one I, I really love. I, I think another area in, in terms of leadership uh, communications where it can be really, really important is, is where you need to inspire. It ties back to getting something of the person over. A lot of leaders can be very ex- inspiring if you get them really focusing on their passion. So if that's what you need to do, if you really need to, to, to get in front of people, again, if it's a dispersed audience and you want to inspire, then then I think audio is is very well worth considering because I, I, I've seen it, I've heard it done really well and re- be genuinely inspiring. So that would be another one, inspiration. There are a whole range of other things that we haven't quite fully explored yet. It's all about getting the essence over and, and and connecting with the idea in a in an intimate way. That's the word that you sometimes hear about podcasting is intimacy. In fact we we did an episode on is intimacy still relevant in a in a business setting? What it means is that is that sense of being inside someone's head. When you've got an idea or some thinking that you really need to get somebody to reflect upon, I think that's the thing is getting the listener to hear and reflect upon what's being said. I don't think you can beat pure audio.
0: There's some really interesting points you brought up there that I'd like to sort of highlight. So first of all, I love the concept of wisdom capture. I think that's absolute genius. And I think you've hit on something that's so powerful, that ability to capture insight through stories. I think you actually mm-hmm. said that it was the stories that people told that that were so powerful. It's not just about their knowledge. You could yeah. capture knowledge in a document, but you can't convey that in, in a way that connects with people as well as you can through a story. I totally agree with that. And I think you know that's that's a yeah. genius way to share knowledge inside an organization is to sort of capture those sorts of stories. You're absolutely right. It's not just about the message and the style of the message and the quality of the message. It's about whether people actually take that message on board, that hear and reflect part that you were just mentioning. So you know yeah. being able to show how audio can encourage people to pick up a message and actually do something with it you know make it their own act on it Um, I think that's how we're going to be able to demonstrate that audio really has this power uh, to connect with people in organizations Mm, so
1: absolutely the interesting thing one interesting thing about the stories bit though stories are, are right at the heart of great podcasting I think all the best podcasts that I've ever heard there's a story in there somewhere to illustrate it. It either is just the story itself or it's the story to illustrate it. One thing I've found is actually it's not always that easy to get good stories from experts. Uh, initially, I began to worry, was it me? Was I not sort of setting them up properly? Or was it that I was just unfortunate that I was working with a group of experts who just weren't that good at stories, but actually it kept happening over and over and over again to the point now that when I prep interviewees, even before I've spoken to them, we're going to need some stories to illustrate the main points. And then when I speak to them, I say, what are your points? And do you have a story for that? And quite often in the moment, they will struggle. And there was one guy in particular who I interviewed who was a terrific interview. He had some t- really good points. And when he came to do the interview, he had excellent stories to illustrate them, either from his own personal experience or ones that he picked up from his colleagues. And afterwards, I said to him, well, you did a really great job. there. That was was one of the best interviews we've picked up so far. And he said, well, do you know what? It was really hard to come up with the stories. And I said, really? Yours were the best stories I've had so far. And he said, well, I took on board what you said. And I went to my manager and said, look, I'm going to need these stories. So we sat down for an hour or more going through the points. He said, coming up with the the five key things that we wanted to, to highlight, that wasn't that difficult, really. There were things that, that we had uh, sort of bees in our bonnet about. But coming up with a story that's specifically related to that was quite a challenge. We did it in the end, so some matched it more than others. I've sort of pondered on this for a, for a while, and then a while ago I came across an article on Medium which was entitled Why Experts Make Poor Teachers. The, the point that the guy was making was just so good because it it resonated with me for why they can't tell stories. And his basic premise was an expert teaches or forms their knowledge by developing models of the world, models of their world, thinks this is how things work. And they build these models up over time. And they build them up from a variety of different situations and different experiences that contribute to their thinking about the model. But as they go along, they you know, maybe one particular situation will only partially inform the model or modify the model or change the model. And then they forget the stories and they end up with this general abstract concept of, oh, this is how it goes. But then when you say to them, well, can you give them an example of, of that illustrates that? They struggle to remember them because it wasn't just one story that, uh, that, that that illustrated it. So it's a genuine challenge. Having said that, you've still got to do it because as this guy says in the article, You can't teach in the abstract. People don't learn in the abstract. They don't get it. You can tell somebody the principles, but it is just amazing how much clearer it becomes when someone says, so, for example, there was this one time and then you think, oh, I get it. So it's it's part of the challenge. Really fascinating phenomenon, but uh, it is as it is.
0: Really insightful. And I think that is the challenge of communications in general, isn't it? Is, you know, everyone can come up with the abstract concept or the things that we should do, but trying to put that into human terms so somebody can understand and replicate that. That's the real art, I think, that we're all trying to achieve. Well, I'm really interested to know how you would... Maybe construct some tips for somebody who wants to make a really good in-house podcast or a piece of in-house audio. Have you got any advice?
1: (laughs) Yes, I have. Let me do it from the angle of what usually happens when I speak to people and and the path we go down. So usually what happens is uh, I'll be contacted by somebody who is an audio enthusiast. So they either listen to podcasts or they're into audio in some other way, and they think it might be the solution to their particular situation. They're usually very excited. They quite often have got it all worked out. Um, they know who they want to interview. They know what they want to say. They know why they want to split it up. Or, you know, they want to do seasons. They're going to do six six podcast season and all this kind of stuff. And and, uh, and I listen to to it, and it's all really, really valuable and useful. And then when they've given me the sort of outline of the way they they want to approach it, and the style that they want to do. And they've usually chosen the music as well that they want to go along with it. I said, great, that's really good. So would you mind if we just stepped back a little bit and said, and you'll know, this is classic communication strategy stuff, but it's, why are you doing this? What is the outcome you're looking for? How do you want people to think, feel and act differently when they've heard this podcast? Take some time to actually elucidate those. Let's let's write them out. Let's be very clear on those objectives. Let's put aside the material that you've got for the moment. Let's just think in those terms. And then when we're clear on that and the priorities that we have, let's go back to the material and the, the, the stuff that you've already got and see how it maps and comes together. And there's always a change. First off, when I ask that question, why are you doing this and how do you want people to think, feel and act differently? There is always a pause in the room, always. And they either have thought about it but haven't really focused on it, or they haven't even thought about it. And then quite often in those situations there's an argument in the room about, well, no, we're doing it because of this. It's such an important thing to to have as a reference because I think once you then set off and you start recording, it's very easy and start interviewing, it's very easy to get lost in the wealth of material because don't underestimate once you switch that microphone on and you start talking to people you are going to get a lot of stuff you are going to get hours of material particularly if you're talking to people who are interested and passionate about their subject and you've got to hone it you've got it it's not like some of the other podcasts that you can get in a non work setting where the joy is just listening to two people meandering through various subjects and you're you're enjoying them. There's a purpose about what you're doing. You've got to you've got to be clear what your aim is, your outcome. So that having that strategic framework to map things through, I think is is the most important first step. Secondly, I would say do not underestimate how much effort is involved. You were saying the other day to me that uh, your estimate is for every every minute of podcast time, there are at least four minutes work that's gone into it, four times as much work that's gone into it. I would say four as a minimum. I think if you're doing one-to-one, that's true. If you're doing multiple voices, then I think you can start to multiply that up. So don't underestimate the amount of efforts involved. But then you do all that, you've only done one. You've got to keep doing them after and go. And again, don't underestimate the the pressure that is on you to to keep delivering those things. And be clear. I think this is another important point. Be clear of how f- how much you're going to do, and make sure you plan enough time for that. I think one of the things I like to to suggest these days is to say, advertise what you're going to do as a season, do a limited number, and then stop. Generally, do not do a open-ended series, because it's actually really difficult to keep going and going and going and going, unless you're absolutely sure that you've got a constant stream of great guests that you can interview and masses and masses of content. Just do a, a, a short series, six episodes or something like that, or say the the, the, the one we did a couple of years ago, we went for three. Keep it limited. But as I say, don't underestimate the amount of, of effort. Obviously, I'm going to say it helps to get help. Yes. But you don't have to. You can do it yourself. And uh, one thing I do say to people is if you listen to Talking Leaders and you listen to us and you're enthused about the idea of using audio content, but you know what to use us, you want to do it yourself. Absolutely fabulous. Super. I'm glad you join the community. Reach out. I'd be happy to give you guidance and advice to help you. But don't turn your f- face away from the idea of getting somebody to help you, because this is more of a full time endeavor than you mm. might realize
0: thank you so much for that and when you've worked with people who have set out making podcasts have you seen anybody build a good measurement process into them and have you (laughs) um, seen a podcast that's been evaluated effectively
1: oh yes I wish (laughs) I wish measurement is such a challenge it really is and it becomes a real pain when you're trying well not me but somebody who's interested in doing a podcast building audio content is seeking budget from some from someone else because unfortunately quite a lot of the time the people who contact us aren't the budget holders so they then have to go make a business case and one of the questions they get asked is well demonstrate to us you know what the difference is going to be how what, what's the benefit and they're looking for a number that's going to go up and it's hard. It's very hard. There are some occasions, I think you and I were talking about a situation where maybe you're delivering something to a sales organization and it's a specific, maybe a change of of ways of working or a new system. And you can actually track the correlation between the delivery of the training in effect and maybe increase or decrease in sales or whatever. But that's rare. That's rare to get that. I have got one example. The best example I've ever come across was actually... in the very early days of where we did see a direct correlation between what we were doing. At the time we were rolling out the big change, the company was also getting very much into sort of employee engagement feedback surveys. And they'd got some quite sophisticated tools that they were using to try and see if people were were getting it and how engaged they were. I remember the head of department, the woman who I challenged about whether or not her, her changes were really gonna make the difference, coming to me at one point and saying, just wanted to thank you for the work you've been doing on the podcasts, because they'd seen an uptick in the engagement levels. And it wasn't all down to the podcast. There were a variety of different things. And it was difficult to pick out the specifics. But because some of the feedback that people had actually given where they'd given textual feedback, podcasts had been mentioned here and there, and and a couple of people had mentioned them to her. So she said, "I'm convinced that you made a difference there. That particular channel did help people to get it, so that was terrific.
0: yeah, that's super.
1: But otherwise measuring ROi it's really it's really difficult, and it reminds me very much actually of when I used to be in the medical writing field, not all pharmaceutical companies offer the same kind of medical writing, medical communication support that we used to offer. We used to put a medical writer, medical communication scientist, we called them, on a team as a full member of the team. And at one point, the company merged with another company that hadn't got this. And I, as the leader, had to go out and sell why they should start including these, these different skill types that they'd never heard of, because they said, well, our, our medics just write all the documents or, you know, the, the expert writes the documents and these are trained people and they can write. Prove to me that having one of these people on the team makes a difference to the eventual outcome of the development of the drug. And you can't because the success of a drug development project is so multivariate, and, you know, the, the effects of it are so multivariate that you, you can't pick out one little thing like that and say it makes a difference. The best that we could ever do was get people to talk to other people in other teams and give it a try. And what happened every time was when people said, oh, okay, we'll try it. Once they tried it, we'd given them somebody who'd helped them, they would come back and say, I love this. It's so good. And I I remember... Getting into situations where team leader would have been very reluctant to to have this person on board, and then when I tried to move them onto another project, they'd ring me up very angrily and say, "How dare you take this person away from me?" Because they they could see the difference, and it's it's the same, I think, with this. Once people have tried it and they've put out the audio content, and people are saying, "I really like it," and I really, you know, I really love it—the anecdotal stuff—then they can see the benefit. But to put a number on it, oh, it's really hard. I wish there was there was some way of saying, "Yeah, you." your uh, you know engagement quotient will go up 27 percent on average or whatever so not easy
0: yeah okay I hear you and and it is something I think we're all battling to try to simplify so uh,
1: there are things you can measure mm. and and I would I would counsel very strongly against reading too much into them the commonest factor that people employ and I have heard of people stopping their audio content channel because of this number is number of listens and downloads. And I would say, think very carefully about that. If it's a communication where it's really important that that everybody in the department listens to it, fair enough. You need to be getting 90% plus if that's the, the whole idea. But if it's like the the thing I was saying before about when we, we captured the wisdom from the, the statisticians, I can't remember how many guys they've got, but there are hundreds of these people who could potentially benefit from these this series, but only a fraction of them have listened to these these podcasts because they don't need to at that particular point. But the minute that their team leader says, right, we're off to the agency, bang, they go and listen. And as one of the the uh, team leaders said to me, it can make a huge difference to the success of a project and therefore a huge difference in terms of quite a lot of dollars. If the, the statistician puts in a good show, you know, deals with a really challenging question, is able to get across a, a key point, isn't intimidated by the event. And he said, I have had people... Only a small number. But I've had some of my guys say it really helped me listening to that. And when I went in, I didn't feel I felt better prepared. Yeah. So the benefit there is huge, even though it's from a small number. So be careful of of reading too much into listener numbers.
0: Yeah, that's a really good point. And having those sort of micro applications, I think, can be a really successful way to deploy audio content anyway. It's a very, mm. very specific subject matter, but it's subject matter that, like you say, has a disproportionate effect on the outcome of quite important events, you know, in, in corporate life. So Yeah, yeah.
1: We did one a while ago on work life balance. It didn't get a huge take up, got reasonable numbers. And uh, the sponsor came back, she said, oh, I'm really, you know, I'm really disappointed. Not that many of, of people have listened to it. And I said, do you have any feedback? She said, oh, all yeah, right, I've had about 20 people co- contact me and say, you know, it's made a major difference to them and they've changed the way they're going to th- do things. And I said, OK, that, that's, that's incredible. 20 people in the organisation have said they're going to change the way they approach their work-life balance. That, that's a success in my, my, my that's book. That's really so. good.
0: Yeah, You mentioned the importance of measurement in terms of its relationship with budget and that being something that people need to consider when they need to get management buy-in. So in your experience, how difficult is it getting that management buy-in and what tips might you have for people who are hoping to set up an in-house podcast?
1: Yeah, it's tough. There are a number of factors that, that come along. I think one of the biggest hurdles is the kind of audio content that we're talking about. Isn't that common? It's not commonly used. It's not It's not the go-to channel that people will, will use. It's very much the poor relation in that respect to video. You know, someone goes along and says, oh, we're going to do this, we're going to roll this out, and we thought we'd video something. Nobody ever questions it. Oh, yeah, right, great, a video. And then you say, okay, well, no, we want to do, then we go down this audio channel, and people go, well, how will that work? And, uh, and I do think it is because there isn't just that culture yet of people seeing how great audio can be. I'd love it uh, to have someone come back to me and say, "Oh, I went along and the head of department loves podcasts and she thinks they're amazing. And so she said right away, we should be getting into that. Haven't seen that yet. So it's it's a challenge. Again, getting renewal uh, when people go back and they want more budget, then it usually is the question, Okay, so has it made a difference? Where's the ROI? And that brings us back to the previous thing about, well, if they haven't got the measurements, then it's tough. I wouldn't underestimate the value of anecdotal feedback. One tip is try and get positive anecdotal feedback from someone really influential and or senior. People listen to what their mates say or other people they respect. The one about the stats guys, one very, very well-respected senior guy just happened to say, I don't think we've, we've got anything that's as good as this in respect of, of this kind of training. I've, I've never seen anything as good as this. Wow. Gold dust. Yeah, build dust.
0: So, how do you help leaders to come up with good ideas for content and for the way that they can connect with the people in their organisations?
1: I think it first starts off with the with the strategic thing. Let's look at the the outcome that, that we're looking for. Then, after that, usually it's by conversation, just getting them talking about about their topic and their subject, and then just asking questions and and putting yourself in the position of somebody who maybe wants to understand a bit more about that and say, well, you know, can you explain a bit more? Just go down little, little alleyways and little pathways. I think one of the things that is a common phenomenon is people underestimate how much they know and they take for granted how much other people will know. So having a conversation with somebody who doesn't know the subject very well at all. And having them ask questions, sorry, what does that mean? And how does that work? Can, and often does, suddenly open up a, a whole area that, oh, actually, yeah, maybe we do need to explain that. And maybe we do need to get people in. Maybe we could explore a little bit more about that kind of thing. That really helps. Uh, something else that is a bit more work, and I've done it a couple of times, is to get permission from the um, the sponsor to go and talk to the target audience before you start. Get set up some some focus groups, I suppose you might call them, to say, well, what do you want to know about this topic or what do you think about it? Certainly when we've, we've done that in the past where we've, we've said what are the kind of things that you would like to know and understand. It's, it can be really helpful if you're going to have those conversations to say to the person, the, someone from the target audience, it's anonymous, so please just tell me anything that you don't understand and I'll feed it back. And that can be really good, because there'll be things that people are embarrassed to say that they don't understand. But it turns out, actually, quite a lot of people don't understand them and think they should. And we've had a couple of instances where I've come back and said, do you know what? People really don't get the, the rinky-dinky system or whatever. And they go, really? And I go, no, they don't. They, they're they still not sure about it. It would be helpful to explore that. And that can, that can lead to some really good content.
0: I think that's a great idea. Providing a voice for people who feel like they don't have that voice for themselves sometimes can be really, really powerful. So, mm, mm. yeah, brilliant. So have you had to deal with really bad cases of performance anxiety and, and how do you encourage people out of that?
1: It is interesting how people change once the microphone is put in front of them. Generally, I find people get over it fairly quickly. I place a lot of emphasis on the pre-interview discussion. I think that's really important. I think it makes a huge difference if people have a good idea of what the questions are going to be, but more importantly, have started to form in their mind an idea of how they're going to answer that question. So there's the stories one, they've got their stories lined up, so they don't have to worry about uh, about what stories they're going to to bring. But also, usually what happens is quite fun, actually, because I usually record the pre-interview chat as well as the, the interview chat. And you'll ask somebody a question, and they have a pretty good answer. So it's a fairly straightforward question, and then they know how they're answering it. But you can hear them thinking as they're, they're answering and formulating their question. Then you ask them the question the next day, and it's better, it's better developed. They've thought about it overnight, and f- I've got so many clips where people said, yeah, I was thinking about that overnight. And here's this extra bit. So that I think that all helps familiarising them with, with, with the whole thing. Uh, I think once you can get somebody onto their passion, that helps enormously. And that, I think, says something a lot about you as an interviewer. You have to be genuinely engaged and curious in your subject and in what the person is saying and the person themselves and and get that chemistry going between the two of you i think once you get that relationship then that helps because then it just becomes a conversation and and people do relax so so that's fine having said all that there is one occasion that still has me waking up in a cold sweat <laughs> where i had one guy came come to me and he said i really want to do this it was when i was doing the again in the early days so maybe I, maybe it was down to me not being that experienced and he was very excited. He wanted to do a very short series of, of three very short snippets to his people that he wanted to connect to. He was an expert trying to get this idea across. And people were spread about over about 16 countries, I think. We sat and had a coffee and explained it to me. And we talked to through. I thought, this is going to be great. It's going to be dead easy. He's, he's so passionate about his subject. And he knows it really well. And, and he, he, he waffles on a bit. But, you know, we can focus him down. And we were very clear on the points that we were going to cover. So I booked a room. Two days later, we got together. And I said, okay, I'll put the microphone there. asked the first question. And he just looked at me like a fish out of water. He said, sort of, ah. doesn't work very well on audio, but his mouth was just opening and closing. And I was trying to record five minutes worth of stuff. 55 minutes later, we still hadn't got it. And I'm afraid I broke my cardinal rule and I wrote something down and I said, just read this. So he took a deep breath. And he read it. And then in the end, what we did is I said, can you memorise it? So he said, "Okay." So he memorised it. So he wasn't actually reading it off the page, which gave a slightly better read. And to this day, I cannot put my finger on why I couldn't get him to talk as he had talked two days earlier in the coffee shop. And as I say, maybe if I did it now, I I I would get better. But the closer you can get to that coffee shop vibe, where it's just two people having a chat and the kit is forgotten, the more likely you are to get past performance anxiety. I think it's one of the huge advantages that audio has over video, because there's not as much kit and there's not as much of a performance element to it. People don't have to worry about all the things that go with with being on a video. Don't get me wrong, there are certain situations where I think video is absolutely the solution, and, and, uh, and I would advocate it. But the other great thing about audio is it is so much easier to edit.
0: Yeah, yeah, I would agree with that. Yeah, it it is a lot easier to edit um, audio. One thing I should
1: say as well, which I'm very conscious of, is you can communicate your own anxiety to the interviewee as well, if you're not careful. So if you're tense and on edge, um, there's one I did a while ago where I I was very unhappy with what I did. I mean, other people listening to it said they didn't think it was a problem. But in my voice, I could see it, I could, tell that I was a bit unsure I was a bit anxious about something I was a bit preoccupied I think probably is the best word and I think that influenced the interview I think I could have done it better and in that situation it's because we were in a room in a meeting room that had quite loud AC it wasn't that loud that you couldn't hear yourself speak but it was apparent but you'll know very well Debbie as an audio person when you have a noise like that in the background when you listen to the audio as opposed to actually being in the room at the time it just stands out so much yeah So I think on that occasion, I was just constantly listening to that and worrying about how I was going to edit that out, not focusing on the conversation. And I think some of that anxiety comes through and affects both of you. So important for you yourself to be in the best space you can be.
0: Yeah, really good point. So looking to the future, Paul, what kind of podcasting would you really love to get the opportunity to do?
1: I really would like to get much more into the into the wisdom capture, wisdom sharing area because I think there's there's a lot of benefit there. Archiving that expertise uh, I think is really valuable. You know, I think I'm a naturally curious person so I just love learning about these things from people. I'd like to do a lot more with people at the middle management level, mm-hmm. the leadership level. There's a real potential there to connect middle managers get a lot of audio, a lot of podcasts with people who are at the C-suite, you know, CEO, COO, CFO, or who are owner entrepreneurs, and they're great. But there's a great deal of leadership. Probably the majority of the leadership is done at that middle management level. And it's actually quite difficult to find material that's specifically focused on them working at that level rather than, say, you know, aspiring to, to senior levels. So I'd like to do a lot more about that, interviewing leaders about uh, how they've developed, tips they've got for other leaders, how to lead at that level, sharing their experiences, that kind of thing. You know, it's very easy to be cynical these days about, oh, well, I've just got a boring job and it's not interesting. But actually, there are a lot of people out there that don't have sexy, glamorous jobs that they're ever going to feature on the chat shows. But they like what they do and they're good at it. And other people doing those jobs would be interested in hearing from those people. They may be every day but actually, the everyday is really, really valuable. So I think I'd like to do a lot more of that kind of thing of saying, let's let's share our experiences. Um, you don't have to be an A-lister to be interesting.
0: Mm, yeah, that, I think that'd be a great thing to do, actually. And what keeps your interest in podcasting?
1: I have this thing about craft or craft, as they say, where I live now in Guildford. Um, I love the idea of craft and having a craft of, of craftspeople, uh, the idea of you getting up and going down in the morning to your workshop, whatever that might be, whether you're making cabinets or you're making podcasts or you're making leadership decisions, your virtual workshop. I love the idea of being an expert in that area, of honing and developing and and refining your technique to produce ever better versions of what it is you make each time. My father uh, was a joiner. He used to work a lot with, with wood and, and other materials. And even when he gave up actually doing that full time and went into to management roles, he still did things at home. And you could see, he, even though he'd been doing it for years, he was learning new things and applying them and building things ever better. And I've always liked that idea. In podcasting and in developing audio content, I've found my craft. In, and in particular, for me, it's the interviewing side. What gets me excited is the idea of how can I help people communicate what they need to say through my craft. So that's what keeps me going, is learning different ideas, different techniques that I can use to help people get across their point.
0: That's a super way to think about it. We do quite often juxtapose art against science. Is it an art or is it a science? Well, is it a craft? And is that you know, a, a fresh way to, to think about what we're doing and how we can improve it? I think, um...
1: Yeah, actually, that's a good point. I hadn't thought about that. That craft, is, is it probably is a, that, it is a crossover between, mm. between art and science. That's what I'm looking to do is if I if I have any gift or talent at all in this area, then I hope I can, I can build on it and improve it day yeah. by day.
0: Well, I think you've proven that you have quite a lot of gift and talent in this subject. So, yeah, I'm sure you can. And that'd be very yeah. interesting to, to watch as it unfolds. We're still talking about the future. What are your predictions for the future of audio?
1: What I hope will happen is that people will start to really... Become much more aware of how audio can make a difference it 's not the be all and end all channel it 's not the channel that you can introduce to replace everything. I remember reading on a blog post that Rachel Miller and we both we both have uh, had contacts with with Rachel said where I think she was actually talking about blog post where she mentioned you and it was about podcasting. She put at the end of her blog post a caveat to say be careful of adding another channel just for the sake of it. Mm-hmm. And I think she's right. And that's the point. Don't just add it for the sake of it. It needs people to say, no, actually, this is a situation where audio is probably going to make the difference. So I think all the things we've been talking about where audio is powerful, I hope that people start to appreciate and understand that and come to value that. And as a result, then want to do more of it. I think people... We'll get to the point where they say, we need to think, what our what is our audio strategy? I know one of your guests talked about that, the guy from storyboard.com, didn't he? Did. he said he thought they would, mm-hmm. every organization would have a strategy. That's another one of my hopes that, that people look at their comms strategy and say, where does audio fit in and what do we do we want to plan for audio? I think technologically, there's still some way to go to get this to be very easy so that the technology is invisible. No one ever says, well, I never, I never know how to watch the video. Yeah, that's no one ever true. No says that. That is true. But whereas they all say, well, it's a bit awkward to download, or how do I download it? Or is there another app I've got to get to download? You know, the technology has to become more in the background. Mm. And then I think it'll, it'll be uh, less, of a, less of a challenge. I, I'm very, very encouraged by what's happened with podcasting. You just have a look at the figures. Is it, iTunes has gone through three quarters of a million now and, and, and rising faster and faster. The numbers for people listening to podcasts is rising. So that encourages me because that says for the population as a whole, the habit of listening to audio content is there and is growing. I don't know for sure. You can never be sure. But I sort of feel confident that will cross over into the workplace. As long as we can deliver that content in a way that mirrors what people like in the non-work content.
0: Yes. Yeah. Very good point. I think that convergence is becoming more and more important. You know, People expect consumer grade information and tech inside organisations now, don't they? Mm. If people would like to find out more about what you do or what you might be able to do for them, uh, where's the best place for people to find you?
1: The website would be the the best choice. And that's www.vokwinexus.com. I'll spell Voquinexus. It's V-O-Q-U-I-N-E-X-U-S dot com. You can email me on paul.gisby at com, And of course, you can always listen to our in-house podcast, which you you uh, very kindly flagged up earlier, which is Talking Leaders, which is available on Podbean and iTunes, and Spotify and all other good providers.
0: Brilliant. Thank you. And I would highly recommend listening to Paul's podcast it's not just about podcasting for leaders actually it covers a whole range of communication skills and planning skills and there's plenty in there that will help you in your career as a professional communicator so highly recommended content well, thank you so much for taking the time to share your experience and all those brilliant stories, which I have to say were really insightful um, today. It's, it's a fantastic episode and it's going to help so many people. So thank you so much for your time.
1: Well, that's, that's really, really kind of you. But I have to say, Debbie, that I'm very grateful for the opportunity to to talk about this. As you, as you, you know, I, I could wax lyrical about this for hours. So it's a privilege to find somebody who's also interested in listening. Thank you again.
0: Yeah, pleasure. Thank you. I'd like to say a huge thank you to Paul for sharing all that insight. There was such a wealth of information in that episode and that concept of podcasting as a craft has really stayed with me and I'll build that into my professional practice. I really hope there was something in there that you can build into yours too. I'd love to hear from you if you are podcasting, if that's in house or for any other reason. Please feel welcome to get in touch either through my social media channels, and you can find me at Debbie Aurelius on Twitter or at Peppermint Fish C. and I'm also on Instagram at Peppermint Fish C. Uh, Or you can look up my website, that's beabiggerfish.net, where you'll find the show notes. this episode which will contain paul's contacts too so you can reach out to paul thank you so much for listening to our conversation i'm really looking forward to seeing you on the next exciting episode of be a bigger fish bye bye for now